Welcome to Diplomacy, the podcast for communications in mergers and acquisitions, brought to you by Corporate Diplomat. With our guests, we will discuss how the financial, economic, political and social context can actually impact the value created by a transaction. My name is Louis de Schallemer, and I will be your host. Well, Jay, this is exciting. Happy to have you on board. Thank you, Jay, for being with Diplomacy. Pleasure. Jay Raymond, you have a quite interesting career. When we look at uh, the different um, stops that you made in Schroeder's, Deutsche Bank, Thomson Reuters, you worked as a coach, project lead, number of things, which brought you to your current position, current role as a co-founder of Fractal Systems. And what I put down from Fractal Systems is that you are in agile delivery, project recovery, and agile transformation. If that are not topics for M&A. So thank you for being on board. Thank you for being our guest today. And let me kick off with, with our standard and, and my preferred um, first question on who or what has made who you are today, Jay? That's a, a really really great question and one I hope I can borrow <laughs> when I start meeting new people. Fantastic question. And actually quite a difficult one to answer. I would say that I've been very fortunate and blessed to meet a lot of wonderful people. And I think the people that I surround myself with are probably who have influenced my thinking the most. On the coaching side of things, I was fortunate to meet Richard Bandler and all these all these Robert Diltz and people like that from the NLP side of things. And they're all about helping people be the best version of themselves. What I loved about the NLP ethos way back when I was quite young was that, you know, we believe that excellence can be replicated and it has a structure to it. And that has very much kind of influenced my thinking around what people can and cannot do. But I think it's a very hopeful way of looking at the world and helps people replicate success where possible. If someone's doing something well and you can figure out the recipe, then hopefully you can replicate that success too. So I love that very hopeful way of thinking about things. I've also kind of been around lots of entrepreneurs from just from people like my father who who taught me loads about coming into a new world, a new country and trying to make something of yourself. And just seeing that determination to try new things and, and try new approaches and really seeing that kind of that, that thinking really come through in, in all the people I've met and all the deliveries that we do and all the work that I've done. I tend to find myself gravitating towards those sorts of people and being influenced very much by those sorts of people. Is that what defines agility? You know, actually, that's, that's a great point. I think that's absolutely right. I think one of the hallmarks of agility is close collaboration, knowing that you don't have all the answers up front and willing to learn from our experience and the experience of our colleagues and our friends, all whilst striving towards achieving great things and big things. So the impact of agility, how does that work? How does it make business or people different? Is it people or is it the business that becomes different with agility? I think I think both. I think that, you know, the key thing about agility is I tend to look at agility as a two or three components. One of them is close collaboration. The other thing is it's a bias for action. So you have close collaboration, you have a bias for action, and then you have a willingness to learn. Agility, I think, really starts from the the understanding and realization that you don't know everything, especially in the complex world that we live in. You know, no one knew, I don't know, at the beginning of COVID that COVID was going to happen. And COVID very much influenced the way that we do business and influenced the way that we, we treat our people, right? 
So having that kind of agile mindset and understanding what's, what works and what doesn't work does change the way your business is organized and structured. And it also changes the way that we interact with our friends and colleagues. We know some approaches don't work, for example. So command and control as a, as a leadership mechanism hasn't worked well in the past and doesn't, and doesn't work when things are even more challenging and difficult. So the agile mindset absolutely influences the way that you organize your teams, your people, and your organizations for success. And it also changes the way you interact with your colleagues, especially when it comes to things like not knowing stuff. You can't be an expert for everything. You have to rely on your friends to help you get to your destination. So if we translate that into, into mergers and acquisitions... We do need uh, close collaboration because if you're integrating somebody, if you need to make sure that the people you work with, well, collaboration is, is a key in making an integration successful. You also just mentioned the fact that you don't know everything. Yes, in an M&A, there are so many items where you have no answer yet before you get into it. You may have defined the framework by which you will take decisions so that you can find a solution. But if you translate agility into the world of mergers and acquisitions, where do you see this really as coming to flourish? You know, I think mergers and acquisitions is a, is a perfect example of, uh, of complexity. You've got these hopefully two or three Phenomenal organizations that are working well, that are well adapted to working well in their space. That's why they're successful. And you want to bring them together and amplify that value, right? But we don't know, to your point, you don't know how well that other organization is working. You don't know where the efficiencies are. Emotion comes into it. There's so much going on that you, what you really need is the willingness to, first of all, embrace the fact that you don't know that, right? A lot of the times, what tends to happen is that I don't know how this yeah, I don't know if you have this a lot in mergers and acquisitions, but tends, you tend to see this in, in, in complex projects and programs where somebody comes along with a Gantt chart and we believe, hey, this Gantt chart is actually going to predict the future and it's going to go beautifully and swimmingly. We only need to plan once and it's going to be great. Whereas the reality is, is that, look, no plan survives first contact with reality. Okay. And what we need to do is kind of think about what are the first few steps that we can make to learn what's going on, to anticipate what's happening, and then take a pause and look at what's going on. And then replan from there. So the way I see M&A is that, look, there are periods of huge change, huge uncertainty. Agility accepts that. Agility, that the point of agility is about organizing yourself so you can proactively manage change and risk whilst you're on that path to delivery. And it really is about organizing yourself to do that. Learning doesn't just happen. People won't just suddenly, you know, we're all really, really busy trying to get stuff out the door unless we pause and take time to figure out what's going on and, and, and create some situational awareness and do that in a way that's intentional and do that in a way that's on a particular cadence so that learning continues. It's not going to work, right? We talked a bit about the, the people that are involved. You've got all these smart people well adapted to working in a particular organization. Now you want to bring them and crash them together. How is that going to work? Is everyone going to be thrilled with that change? If not, how are we going to manage that? I know, Lewis, that you you specialize in that in that space and bringing people together, winning those hearts and minds and helping people understand what the bigger picture of the mission is. And then there's actual pragmatic, practical way of organizing those people so that we can actually amplify our successes. I think the other thing is this, is that with M&A, you know, and with any, kind, with any kind of complex project and program, traditional ways of working tend not to, where we're trying to, you know, de-risk by thinking of absolutely every single thing that can happen and creating these large business requirement documents and large recipes for success. These things go out, these things become less relevant as you begin to discover new things. So something that you may be placing a huge kind of value on, you realize that actually 
we can't deliver that right now or we're not positioned to be able to unwind that or to, to make that a reality is going to take far more time than we originally anticipated. So how do you work with that? And how do you figure out how you respond to that unless you're doing it in an intentional way, unless you're doing it in a way where you're kind of constantly looking at relevant risks and manage them as you go? So look, I don't think there is such a thing as a, a vanilla M&A piece of work. I think every piece of work has its own complexity and its own challenge. But what we, what we can do and what Agile does give us is an approach where we are receptive to those challenges, where we can learn and then using that evidence of learning, that empirical data, we can change our path as we go, right? So that's, that's the idea. The idea is, is that you, you learn as you go. You have to rely on the close collaboration of your people. And most importantly, that approach, that mindset builds in huge humility. Because you don't, you can't, you know, you can't know everything. You have to rely on the expertise of your friends. That's how you're going to move forward. And you have to learn from them so that you, you do move forward. It makes sense. So, in, <laughs> so if I understand you well, so, so the aspect of, of agility impacts productivity, impacts performance. Sure. So on one hand, agility allows you to maintain those during a transformation, during change or potentially even recover faster because people downtimes are, are slower because people know better where they are. So how does that work? And what's the recipe? But one, one approach that works really well for us, you know, all, my team, all of us are delivery guys. So we have tons of that experience. We really know how things can work and where things go wrong. So having that experience absolutely works. The other thing is, is that we use the sprint cadence as a way of being able to chop up delivery so that we're constantly focusing on the next couple of weeks. So we have that short-term tactical delivery. But most importantly, that kind of, the sprint gives us a marker to learn. And in the sprint, you have daily scrums, daily stand-ups, where people are planning every day and learning every day in terms of what challenges are coming our way. The lovely thing about the sprint is that it, kind of, it, it gives us that, that intentional learning focus. So when risks come up, and we've done, we do this with our clients all the time. We create leadership teams, for example. Our leadership teams also operate in sprints, but what they're focusing on is the, the large program level risk, the change that's upcoming or, or maybe affecting and impacting 10 or 11, 12 delivery teams. What those leaders will do is they work proactively to de-risk or mitigate those risks. And most importantly, to learn, hey, you know, last sprint or the last few sprints, what were the challenges that came at us? What did we do well? What didn't we do so well? And those those questions being asked in a short, focused time box enables leaders to kind of steer the program in a way which is based on current thinking, what's currently happening, the current turbulence, as well as having the opportunity to look ahead a couple of sprints in three or four weeks to see what might be affecting the program in the big way. What that gives us is the ability to impact 50 people or 60 people because those leaders are clearing the way, clearing the friction for those teams that are delivering, right? You have to do that in an intentional way. The thing is, is that with most major programs, what happens, you do the delivery, you do spend a year delivering or two years delivering, and then you do a lessons learned. Now, after two years of hard work and slog and trauma, very few people are interested in that lessons learned. And what's worse is whenever you start a new program of work, very few, I've seen very few organizations come along and go, you know what, today we're doing this complex piece of work. Why don't we review the last 15 programs? All the lessons learned that we learned from the last 15 programs, last 10 programs, last three programs. What did we learn from that? How can we move that forward? How can we learn as a collective team and bring that forward? Into Very few organizations do that. So what we do is by structuring that learning, structuring that close collaboration, 
what happens is you're learning as you go and you get better as you go. And what we say to leaders is that, look, if you can just learn, if you can just get better by 1%, over time, that leads to a huge, a huge benefit, a huge amount of value for the group. I mean, we work with programs where you have multiple parties, multiple multiple program teams, multiple consulting teams, multiple, um, yeah, you know, multiple parties working together to deliver a piece of work. And if you're learning together, it brings the entire group together as a team. And that's what we want to do. We want to make sure that we really are operating as a team rather than a group of people with some, some shared interests, but not really interested in actually helping each other. A team absolutely helps each other, right? And learning through failure and learning through turbulence is one of the fastest ways you can begin to grow as a team. But doing that in an intentional cadence way absolutely works. Yeah, that pattern also translates down to the teams as well. We make sure the teams are doing that too. Mm-hmm. And any challenges that they can't overcome are then being escalated up to the leadership teams for the leadership teams to be able to solve. So we actually, we create patterns that actually, that replicate and that actually amplify the effects of eliminating turbulence and challenge. How do you measure the success then? Because that is one of the questions that we always have is, okay, what is a success? Okay, you can see the financial results, you can see uh, how, but but very often the success factors are determined after the integration or at the end, or we were successful. Very rarely do we see success factors or indicators defined before you launch the program. How would you see that? You know, I think one of the things that we, we like to do is to think about Which milestones are we, which value are we delivering up front? So what we try to do is we try, we try to break down the, the program of work so we can, uh, we can achieve value early and often. And it, it's not always possible to be able to break everything down into two week chunks or three week chunks. Sometimes it's, you know, a month, sometimes it's a quarter. But the idea is, is that you're delivering value in small increments as you go. And what's great about that is that it leaves the guesswork out. We either delivered or we didn't deliver. So if we're saying that, Hey, in this month, we're going to deliver this small piece of value and we, we nail it. Good news. We know that our delivery is, is working well. We know that we're releasing something back to the organization and something that the organization can use. And if, if the answer is no, we can't deliver something, then what do we learn? What's hampering our delivery? How do we get better at doing that? So we love to use delivery as a way, as a mechanism to either keep us on track or if we haven't, if we haven't delivered to figure out what's hampering that delivery and fix the problem aggressively, right? So be proactive in fixing the problem. We always try to teach teams to have a low tolerance for problems and challenges. If a problem exists, let's surface it early. Let's try and figure out early what the challenge is and let's fix it and ensure that that's, that it stays fixed. So as I said, we love to use delivery as a great barometer to where the program is going. And if we can structure it so that the values released at the same time, then that's what we tried to do. So what are the challenges or the, the pitfalls that you, that you can come across in those processes, in those transformational processes? That's a great, great question. I mean, people change is always, is always challenging. I think one of the things that you have to do is you, a, lot of, a lot of the times when people look at Agile, especially leadership teams, is they, they always think to themselves, well, 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 hold on a second, I'm already collaborative. I already collaborate. I collaborate by telling people what to do and they need to just get on and do it, right? Or I'm being slightly provocative there. But the biggest challenge really is, is that most people tend to, when they look at agile processes, they tend to see them as just truths, common truths. Everyone knows that. And because of the simplicity of agility, sometimes what happens is people overlook the power of actually doing it in an intentional way and actually organizing yourself to make that happen. And then when it does happen, you need to ensure, or when the, when the conversations do happen, you need to ensure that people are there and are present and are focused. So a lot of the times, it's really about explaining and making sure people really do understand why we are approaching 
this problem, this challenge in this particular way and how it benefits them? You know, what is the purpose of this conversation that we're having? What is the outcome of the conversation that we're having? And what's in it for you as an individual? If those three things aren't there, then most people won't want to turn up. They're not going to want to engage, right? You have to be able to answer those three questions for an individual, for a group to have that engagement matter. And we tend to focus a lot on the why. So once you understand why, the how becomes pretty much not meaningless, but certainly easier to do. So there's that piece there. And I think the other thing is this, trying to really understand where a team is. So one of the challenges in Agile is that a lot of people tend to go off and do all these courses and stuff. And then there's nothing wrong with courses, but you come along and you just try to apply the theory wholesale without really taking stock of the, of the client's context, where they are, what is possible for them. You know, what we try and always do is what we, and what we always teach is start from where you are and add value as you go. When people have value added, you see the uptake and engagement tends to be far more, much, much more than if you just come along and try to bludgeon people to death with it. Right. We're doing agile today. Today we're all going to be scrum masters. We're all going to be product owners and start, you know, coming up with this jargon and stuff, which really doesn't add any value to the people that you're trying to help. So what, what we always do is we come along, we go, right, look, these are the approaches that we're going to use. This is why we're going to use it. This is how it's going to help you. And this is what you're going to get out of it. How does that sound? Starting from that perspective, helping people really understand things goes a long, long way. So it is a mental power that addresses habits, bad habits. Is it, is it the habits that organizations allow people to keep that slow down our, our businesses? Because uh, fundamentally, there is no reason for anybody to be slow. There is fundamentally no reason for anybody. Okay, yeah, sometimes you haven't had your coffee yet. But, but in absolute terms, people like working. People, if they do something that it has some sense, some meaning, some value, there is no reason for anybody to, to be negatively loaded unless you have a system in which you can't apply your energy or deploy your energy. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think you mentioned it, right? I think systems go a long way, right? In terms of, and culture is a, I mean, we talk a lot about, we talk a lot about decentralized command. We talk a lot about empowering people and organizing people so that they can bring their best selves to work. Practically, you do have to make that happen. You have to be organized to, to, to be successful. You have to organize your teams in a certain way. And leaders need to reorganize themselves in a certain way to be present for their teams. In financial services, for example, leaders tend to be quite vulnerable and tend to feel vulnerable. It's not, easy to say that you're you're under stress it's not easy to say that you're failing or you're you're feeling challenged it's not easy to do that leaders don't feel safe saying that or doing or behaving in that way because sometimes someone else is going to come along and eat your lunch right if you if you behave that way also leaders tend to be hired because or at least elevated because of their ability to know everything they were great I don't know, for example, in, in the quant world, they're a, they're a great quant. They're a great mathematician. So they get, okay, you're a great quant. Fantastic. Now, you're, now you've got a team of 20 people that you have to manage. And what got you to that leadership position was you're a greater your, your craft, not that you're a great leader, right? So they tend to rely on that I know everything kind of approach to um, continue to amplify their success. And what we have to be able to do is we have to show, especially leaders as well as teams, different ways of working that can benefit them. Right. So it's not just about hearts and minds. It's about practical, practically, how do you apply this? What exactly do you do? What behaviors are now needed? I meet people talking about culture all the time, you know, culture is strategy for breakfast, right? But what it, culture is a set of behaviors. So what we need to do is to help leaders, I mean, help teams change is to help them focus on tangible behaviors that they can execute day in and day out. The execution of those behaviors is what 
creates a new culture. Yeah. Is it easy? No, it's not. It's not. Of course not. And it is not easy because you need the sum of the individual behaviors to create the new culture, right? Absolutely. And, and people, look, people are under stress when firms are going for new goals. They're big, audacious goals. And what makes something big and audacious is that sometimes it's time pressure. Sometimes we don't have the skills. Sometimes for us to grow, we have to behave in new ways. So. If we, are, if we were successful to this point doing stuff that we know and now we're being asked to, to, to switch into something, new, we don't even know what the new behavior looks like. So how are we supposed to achieve it? This is kind of where the coaching and where the sort of helping people on the pitch really kind of comes into its, you know, into its own. We have found that sending somebody on a two-day training course, for example, when they come back, they're going to they're get into the real world of turbulent this and that meetings and they're going to forget everything they, they were taught. So what you need to do in that space is you need to give them the basics, the understanding of what good looks like. Then you need to work with them on the pitch, side by side, helping them, helping them practically deliver, helping them practically change their ways of working. So that those new habits, those new thinking patterns become ingrained and linked to action. So it's not enough to know. Everyone knows that if I say to you, collaboration is important, am I telling you something new? No. Not at all. I know you. I know you know that. And most leaders know that. Most teams know that. But the questions that become, well, how and when and what should we talk about and how often should we be speaking and how long should we be talking for, right? Those are the questions that you need to tangibly answer. And you need to link those to when you are having, a, for example, you're, you're in a tough conversation and you're learning something new and you don't know stuff that you don't suddenly revert to defensive behavior or aggressive behavior. You have to learn how to learn well and you have to learn how to be vulnerable in a team and say stuff that you don't know and be and be pressure tested and rely on your your colleagues to help you when you don't know stuff all of those things can be quite concerning quite scary so what behaviors do we need to put in place to make that happen what behaviors do we need to put in place to keep each other safe and to help each other along the way this is where we this is kind of where we step in when we when we help with the delivery we step we stand next to people we work with them so they can see us going first showing them what the right way is not because we know everything it's just we've been there before and working as a guide yeah and you'll see us all the time saying hey i don't know the answer to this but you guys do let's figure it out let's work it out together that's really where it's about that's where you see collaboration in the real world on the pitch and that's what we need to be able to do to help each other so when you have these two firms that are optimized perfectly optimized to delivering their in their new worlds they're coming together to try and create a new world you know try and create new value and to do that well they have to learn behaviors that are different from where they've where they've come from. So we have to train that in until it becomes part of that kind of to your to your point, until it becomes the defect of standard. In mergers and acquisitions, I'm often asked, yeah, okay, when is the right moment to call somebody from comps? So when do you need to start communications? When is the right moment to include agility? When is the right moment to start rethinking? Because you may say, okay, my business performs. So do I really need to rethink the way I do my business? Because starting a transformation, a change program is disruptive. Then people don't know. People are expected. You don't have all of the answers. Then people generate uncertainty. So right. we have seen most of the transformation programs or change programs take a lot of time to become really implemented and, and, and so on. So when is the right moment to become agile? Again, a, a great question. And one which, you know, in our view, is 
you know, we have a slightly different answer to that. We tend not to do transformation for transformation's sake. We tend to do the transformational work when we're doing a delivery. So if there is, so, you know, one of our recent clients is, is doing some, some outsourcing. They're outsourcing their back office functions to, to a larger provider to help them grow. That's a great way of showing agile in, in real, in a real life scenario. If you, if you just go around and, and just do a transformation of a trans, there's no reason to really do it. Then people won't want to fix what's not broken. We tend to find that if you're doing a, a strategic delivery, which actually means something to the firm, that's a great time to make it happen because that's where you really see agile in action. That's really where you see the collaboration working. It's really where you see the decentralized command working, where you see empowered teams working. In a real life scenario, when you're actually doing it and doing it well, that's when behaviors stick because now teams and people and leaders see that, hey, you know, we, we, we took on this really large challenge. We did it in this way and it worked. And that success gives rise to more successes because you've seen it in action. You've seen it when things are tricky and tough and you're walking through treacle. You've seen it work then. That's what makes things stick. And when would I do that? I would try to bring, I mean, I think communication is probably one of the first things that you do bring in, right? If you're, if you're doing something challenging, the last thing you want to do is bring, is to not think about how you're going to message that. Winning hearts and minds is, is absolutely critical when you're doing a large, large piece of work and when you're doing something which is really impactful. So just like that, I would be thinking about bringing Agile in early. You want to be, you want to be bringing your best people to the game early. You want to be collaborating early. You want to be making some bets early and you want to be testing and learning early. I was preparing for the next question, which is, which is your piece of advice? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, I think the first thing I would do whenever, whenever I am, whenever I talk to leaders about going agile, what I think about is I think, what is a good, good piece of work that you can go agile on? What is a safe bet or what is a good bet? What is something that's going to give us value? So don't, don't ever think about going agile in a vacuum. That doesn't work well. Most people aren't going to want to be interested. Really do think about, how you organize your collaboration. So close collaboration is more than just having steer codes and board meetings, right? Really think about how you do that. I think the other thing is, is that focus on having this bias for action. Action creates learning, right? When you try stuff and it's working well, great, amplify that. And if something's not working well, brilliant, learn from it. And then adjust as you go. Don't wait until the end of the program before you try to learn. Try to learn on a cadence and that's intentional. And I think being organized to learn and adapt is probably the most important thing. You know, having, having that, because with that, you have to think differently as a leadership team. You have to remain engaged. You have to remain owning the problem. And I think that's one of the challenges that we see a lot. Actually, leaders tend not to want to own the problem. They tend to want to throw it over the fence, have the teams do it. And if it doesn't go, doesn't go well, they kind of beat up the teams. I just think that's bad. That's bad leadership. I think what you need to do as a leader is to stay in the game own it till the end. And if your teams aren't doing well, work out how you can eliminate the friction that they're feeling. How do you eliminate this turbulence that they're feeling? And if they don't know how, show them the way. And if you don't know how, be honest and open about it and find people that can help you. So there's three or four ideas that you know we, we, tend, to, we tend to talk about when we're doing exec coaching and, and helping leaders to kind of embrace things. One last question, Jay. You said at the very beginning that excellence can be replicated yeah. is that the way how you get there or is that the result i think in certainly in m a as well as in any kind of large complex program 
you don't always know the result you're going to get. You have high aspirations and you have high expectations for sure. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it, right? I think focusing on the way will give you the best bet in terms of achieving the result. If you focus on excellence in delivery and doing that well, creating great relationships, learning from your colleagues, learning rapidly, having a low tolerance for problems, staying in the game as a leader and owning it all the way through, that kind of excellent delivery is the thing which is going to give you the excellent result. I'd focus on the process more than anything else. Well, I'm, I, I see a number of books that are behind you in your shelf. And I just imagine, okay, what has he taken out of those books? What has he learned? <laughs> and and how can he, can he can he put that together in a few words? <laughs> yeah, I mean, trying to solve, that's a really, I mean, it's a difficult question, right? Trying to solve it in a really simple way is, is, is challenging. But I mean, that's what I would do. I'd focus primarily on the process. Focus on building a process where your teams are working together and they're working as a team, really as a team, all the way from the top to the bottom, not just a group of people. Focus on ensuring that when challenges turn up, that you are handling them well. You're not pretending they don't exist. You are handling them and you you have that kind of low tolerance for problems. You are working hard to ensure that you overcome them. Um, and and focus hard on ensuring that you bring the best, you know, make sure that you're, you are listening to your people and helping your people overcome the challenges that they're facing. We, you know, we hire smart people because they know how to do the job. And our job as leaders, our job as teammates is to empower them to do the best they can do, right? And listen to them when they're coming up with these with their challenges and their, their ways of doing stuff. And I think the other thing is this, no, no one really, really understands everything when it comes to, well, no one really understands or no one really has a secret recipe for, for absolute delivery under every circumstance. We're going to have to, we're going to have to approach this with an open mind and with a, you know, with a humble mindset and to learn as we go and try new things as they go. Right. And then when we do find something great, brilliant. Let's amplify that and do more of it. Wow. What could I say better than that, Jay? As a, what could you say better as a, as a last word? Do more of it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> amplify what works. Use what's absorb what's useful. Amplify what works and dampen what isn't useful. Wonderful. Thank you, Jay. <laughs> Was a great pleasure to have you on this episode of Diplomacy. Was a great pleasure to have you um, and share and listen to what you could say. Have you have you share um, your thoughts? Um, it, you're so fast um, in the words that you speak that that you really have to be concentrated. So so that's good. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much for taking the time for being with us. And hope to see you in person very soon when we okay. come over the channel. Absolutely looking forward to it. It's an absolute pleasure to speak to you, Lewis. And thank you for the insightful questions. They were they took a lot of thinking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Looking forward to another conversation. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Diplomacy. Please explore our website www.corporate-diplomat.com or our LinkedIn page. I hope you have enjoyed. Feel free to subscribe and hit the follow button. Have a great day.